Hello everybody and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. This episode was all too familiar, but we'll get more into that later. I would like to start this episode to pay a little recognition to some of the podcasts that have kind of inspired me in creating my own podcast. So thank you to My Soap Pod Life and The Boiler Room, two podcasts about my favorite TV series, My So-Called Life. I would also like to mention the podcast, This American Horror Story. And lastly, a special mention to the podcast, Real Life Ghost Stories. These four podcasts, more than anything, have really helped influence me on how I have created my own podcast. Great narration, love the recaps, and most of them have a rating system as well. I will have to say, however, the one thing that does set me apart from these podcasts that I have listed is all of them are hosted by a duo, which I do have to admit sounds very appealing at some times, but also sounds like more work since I've gotten into my groove of writing, recording, and editing my podcast all by myself. However, I do like a challenge. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled Four Eyes and debuted on September 17, 1975. It was written by B.W. Sanfure and directed by William F. Claxton. The episode begins with a shot of the school doors opening up and all the kids come running out. Except for Laura. She's walking. Solo. Nellie Olson and Willie are coming out of the school behind Laura and... Oh goodness, is that Nellie Olson in her stunt dress? They are flaunting not only their grades, but also the corresponding prices each of their grade receives. A's earn 10 cents and B's earn a nickel. And Nellie, demonstrating her high marks in mathematics, says that Willie is going to get 25 cents. I'm going to get more because I got the best grades in school. Laura makes the remark, Grades aren't everything. Learning is what is important. Even eggs get graded. Well then, what kind of grade does an egg get that has a double yolk? At this point, Laura kindly shoves Willie Olson down to the ground and leaves. Inside school, Miss B has written down plenty on that blackboard. Column 1 is subtraction, column 2 is division, and column 3? It's spelling. And there's a lot. But as Miss Beetle turns around, we see Mary copying notes down from the blackboard. And there's a lot to write down from this blackboard. It's even more filled compared to the blackboard behind Miss Beetle's desk. These are all notes for the test tomorrow. And it looks like history. Apparently somebody didn't get enough history in the barn. Miss Beetle notes, it's a shame we only have one history textbook. You wouldn't have to copy so much material if we had more. And I have to say, you're lucky you even have that textbook. She then follows up with an apology saying, I can't give you better grades when your work is not up to its usual standards. 
Mary does seem disappointed and promises to try harder. We are told there are six weeks left in the semester and that there is a history competition. And Miss Beetle promises she'll take it into consideration for her final grade if she does well on that competition. And just before parting ways, Miss Beetle offers extra help if Mary needs it. Mary laments, maybe I didn't try hard enough. And she goes and grabs her books, bonnet, and heads on out. We cut to the exterior of the mercantile. Nellie Olson steps out with a peppermint stick and casually walks out to greet and immediately insult Laura and Mary. Trying to get Miss Beetle to raise your grades? I got two B's and three A's. And so she got 40 cents. Mary is looking down to the ground and Laura comes to her defense. You would get another A if they gave them out for being nasty. The girls leave and walk past the mill, which is now reopened. And Mary confirms she did awful and heads out in front of Laura on the walk home. We cut to nighttime at the Ingalls and Mary and Laura doing dishes. Carrie's getting her hair brushed and Charles is complimenting the mincemeat pie. It makes a hard day easy. Laura says it doesn't make cleaning the forks any easier. Oh, and one more thing, it's report card time. And Carrie clearly lets us know, I didn't get a report card. Oh, Carrie. Laura steps up first. Ooh, arithmetic, okay. Geography, okay. reading, which has improved. We don't know the other course listings, but I'm imagining there's probably history and most likely spelling that should also be on that report card. At this point, we cut to a close-up of Mary's face. And in the background, we hear Laura stating, you'd still be proud no matter how hard I try, even if my grades don't show it, right? Charles simply re replies, of course. Laura kisses her parents and heads to bed. Mary continues to dry those dishes before heading over with her report card. Charles, how did my student do? Not so good. Look at this report card. It should be noted that Mary has leveled up, and this should be taken into account because the work is harder than it was before, and there's more of it. And Charles understands this and simply remarks, well, you'll just work a little harder and get those grades back up. And Mary's just kind of surprised. You're not mad? No, I know how hard you work. Just study harder. Kisses goodnight and Mary heads up to the loft. Caroline, waiting until Mary is out of sight, leans over and says, I wanted to talk to you before you saw that report card. With a slight chuckle, Charles says, were you afraid I was going to raise some cane? It's nothing to worry about. She's a smart student and takes after her mother. Oh, Charles. Caroline simply says, I'm no smarter than you. Charles. I suppose you're right. I mean, I was smart enough to pick you out. Carrie gets a goodnight kiss before she's put to bed. And Charles picks up that report card once again and continues to stare at it. From there, we cut up to late night in the loft. And Mary, by lamplight, have to wonder if she lit that herself, is reading slash studying. Laura's on the inside of the bed. 
Hmm. And that's a little change. And we hear in Mary's breath, Madison administration, Federalist Party. And I'm falling asleep as she's saying this. And era of good feelings. Laura is complaining that she can't get to sleep. Your side of the bed is off. And Mary, you don't sleep on either side of the bed. You just talk. I have this test tomorrow. But eventually, Mary gives up on studying. Partly because of what Laura said about nobody's good taking a test if they're not well rested. And at this point, they switch sides. And Laura, staring up at the ceiling, just has to let us know that this side of the bed doesn't feel any different. A rooster crows, and it's a misty mountain morning here on the prairie. Charles comes out of the barn, and Jack comes out of the house, and it feels like a Leo pen take because we are watching him walk from the barn to the house, and it's taking forever. Inside, Laura comes down from the loft, and it's inquired, where is Mary? Well, she's apparently still up in the loft. We cut to her, and she's actually cramming for that test, but when Charles comes upstairs, she throws her notes onto the table and jumps into bed. Oh, and then totally lies to Charles about having a headache? Honest, Pa, I don't feel good. And honestly, Mary, you shouldn't start a lie with the word honest. And well, Mary gets to stay home from school and avoids taking her test. However, her parents don't know that that's the real reason. We cut to eggs being counted. Hello, Harriet. And well, the topic of double yolk eggs is trending. In fact, Harriet Olson offers a penny more for the dozen, you know, for their merit. Harriet Olson, merits deserve rewards. And changing the topic of conversation to herself, you know, that's the policy in our household. Rewards slash paying for grades, you know, it's an incentive. Caroline doesn't believe in that incentive. Grades are the rewards themselves. But Harry and Olsen has to boost about Nellie's and Willie's report cards. And because she just has to know, how did your Mary do? We're proud no matter what grades our children get. Well, they also do plenty of work around the farm, and that's part of learning too. Harry and Olsen. I suppose, but a true scholar needs time to develop their mind. She then mentions the history award coming up. Caroline, a little flustered, grabs her basket, yells out, credit the eggs to my account, and good day, Mrs. Olson. Over at school, Miss Beetle is clearing the blackboards. Where's Johnny Johnson when you actually need him? Caroline comes in to have a little tea your parent conference. What do you think is the matter? It has always worked so hard. This is a compliment both the adults give to Mary. And Miss Beetle confesses Mary isn't covering half the material she used to. But Caroline also has to wonder if there are other things. And Miss Beetle, oh, you mean a boyfriend? They both sigh and giggle. They both know Mary's true boyfriend is schoolwork. Maybe Mary has reached her peak. Caroline, a little shocked, says, Are you saying Mary is not smart enough for the advanced work? No, I'm, I'm not saying that, exclaims Miss Beetle. I'm just saying maybe she's outpaced 
by the new work. Miss Beetle mentions the history exam that was to take place today, and then it finally dawns on Caroline, oh, that's why Mary was faking being sick. Apparently, during Mary's last exam, she only filled out half of the test. Oh, Mary. With this bit of information, Caroline proclaims, we'll get Mary to work harder, and Miss Beetle also says that I will help in any way that I can. Goodbye. It's late night over at the Ingalls, and, well, face palm, Caroline is pulling a Mary by asking a sleeping Charles if he's awake. His response is, no, I'm sound asleep. Caroline then shares the conference at school, you know, trying to help Mary, who's only getting half of the material, and that she possibly might have to repeat the grade slash year. Charles is now more invested. I bet it's a boy. Caroline, it's not. And Charles slightly shrugs it off when he finds out it's not a boy and says, eh, we shouldn't worry about it. And they share a goodnight kiss and go to bed. And meanwhile, up in the loft, Laura has plenty of room in that bed because Mary is asleep by lamplight at the desk. At school, and well, Miss Beetle has gone crazy with the amount of text that is on the board. It's a bit overwhelming. And again, the side chalkboards aren't any easier to read. Miss Beetle explains, I have a few dates on the board to review for the history competition. And by few, she means 22. When asked to list the date's significance, nearly everyone in the classroom raises their hands. But not Big Sister Mary. In fact, she looks down. Nellie Olson says, 1588, Spanish Armada defeated. When Miss Beetle inquires about a second date, the same reaction from the class and Mary happens. Willie Olson is called out and says, in 1492, you know the rest. In fact, Laura leans over and whispers to Mary, he always gets the easy ones. Everyone knows that one. There's a quick shh from Miss Beetle. On the third date that Miss Beetle inquires about, no one raises their hand. And Miss Beetle's slightly upset. This date was on your last assignment. She eventually calls on Mary, who stands up and looks harder at the board and immediately apologizes. Nellie Olson then comes in to take the steal and says, oh, 1607, founding of Jamestown. It's the end of the day, and Mary tries to leave, but Nellie Olson stops her. History is the most important subject, according to my mother. And it's at this moment, Laura comes over and asks Mary if she wants to play a game of two-cat. We need one more. And Mary says, I can't. I need to go home and do my chores and then get to studying. Nellie, yeah, you do need to study. Once again, coming to her sister's defense, Laura says, my sister is smarter than you, which I guess is the thing that finally convinces Mary to go play that ball game. Or maybe she just wants another opportunity to practice her throwing skills. We're back at the barn over at the Ingalls and Laura is raking out the stables, which we come to find out is not one of her favorite chores. 
but Mary got hurt during the game, and Laura says it was mostly likely her fault, and she wants to make it up to her by giving her time to study. Charles excuses Laura and tells her to relay the message to Caroline that he'll be in in a moment. And it's late night, and a sleeping Charles is wakened by the lamplight at the dining table. And big sister Mary, knowing how to wake up a family member, is still stuck on her math homework, taking longer than she had expected. Charles advises her that she should get some sleep. You, you know, there is such a thing as studying too hard. But Mary protests, I know I can solve this problem. I know I can. And Charles offers to take a crack at it. And then taking a hold of Mary's slate, he notices the mix-up in the numbers. And then he shows that to Mary, who's sitting across the table. And well, bingo. This impromptu study session has just turned into an eye exam. Only when she gets up and walks over to Charles does she say, Oh yeah, I can see it now. Detective Charles is back on the case, and he starts asking all the right questions. But you couldn't see it while you were sitting over there? You could only see it as you were coming up and standing close to me? Mary fumbles her answers. Oh, no, I could totally see it. Charles writes something new on the tablet. 9746. I have no idea what happens in that year. But he then asks, what are the numbers? And he even moves the lamp closer to the slate. And we get a slow zoom in on Mary's face as she's studying the board. Followed by a quick POV shot of Mary's blurry vision. And then she confesses that she can't see the numbers. And breaks into tears. Charles, realizing he did just make his daughter cry, gets up and comforts her. And from here, we get a slow zoom out from Mary's face to outside of the window and into the night. From there, we cut to a father-daughter road trip to Mankato to get glasses. Well, why didn't Doc Baker order them, you say? There's only so much a small-town veterinarian can do. And Mary's slightly confused. Mrs. Whipple orders her own sewing glasses right out of a catalog. And Charles puts his foot down and says, you know, you're going to get corrective lenses, and it's better that you have an actual eye exam, especially being a young person. We are told Dr. Burke comes highly recommended by Doc Baker, and Mary groans, this isn't going to be cheap. She knows how hard Caroline and Charles work, and they're always needing something, but Charles states, Nothing is as important as your eyesight. And don't worry, we'll manage. Yeah. Next thing, we're at the optometrist, and Mary has her chin up on that little chin rest as Dr. Burke is looking through his own lens. I bet they don't have to do that little puff of air test. And at this point, Mary just has to know, I'm going to be all right. And Dr. Burke says, you have beautiful eyes which equals healthy eyes. You've got two of the most beautiful eyes I've seen. There's sort of an awkward chuckle from me at this moment. Dr. Burke then needs to have words to share with Charles. All your daughter needs is a simple pair of glasses. Her eyes are strained and a little tired. The muscles have been going on and on without any help for so long. 
The two adults speculate the reason Mary never mentioned anything about this was out of fear. And possibly she just developed some tricks to, you know, get by. Like squinting. And, well, at this point, what could possibly be misconstrued as an offensive racial gesture, pulling the corners of her eyes back. Regardless, the surplus of homework has caused all of Mary's vision tricks to start to fail. Charles, ugh, it's a bummer we didn't notice. Dr. Burke says, well, parents are usually the last ones to find out. Kids should get tested for this kind of things as they enter school. But if you go get your daughter, we can show her a whole new world. And with that, we get started on getting Mary the lenses that she needs. She's sitting behind the furopter as Dr. Burke is checking on the appropriate lenses. And we start to see, along with Mary, because it is her POV, the letters come into focus. And we get a nice zoom in into Mary's eye. And we then cut to Dr. Burke adjusting frames. Wow, we got an eye exam, lenses, and frames all on the same day? What service is this? But this is the moment of truth, and Dr. Burke relays this statement. You're about to have an experience you'll always remember. And from there, we hear Mary say, I can see it, Pa. I can read it all. Yes, I did get goosebumps on that scene. And what is then prescribed by Dr. Burke is that for the next month, the glasses are to be worn for every waking hour. Following that, Mary will only need them for her studying. Giving her dad a great big hug, Mary says, thank you, Pa. And looking to Dr. Burke, Charles also simply has to say, thank you, doctor. On the wagon ride home, Mary's head is nonstop rubbernecking. Her head looks like it's about to fall off. It is doing almost a full 360. She is looking at everything. And after staring at all the floral and then the geese up in the sky, Mary admits, I didn't think it was going to be so different. I just love my glasses. And Charles remarks from there, and I love you. Hiya. At home, Laura is collecting water from Plum Creek when Charles and Mary return. She drops a bucket of water to run inside and tell Caroline they're home. Caroline immediately compliments Mary's new eyewear. She calls them so attractive. Laura says that they're pretty. They make you look smart, like Miss Beetle. Charles tells the girls to go inside, and he has a moment with Caroline, stating that Mary is going to see twice as good as before. And Caroline is impressed. Wow, twice as good. And Charles grabs a hold of Caroline, gives her a kiss, and says, You're far too pretty to me, just the way you are. We cut to the next day at school, and Nellie Elson is coming out of the mercantile and yelling back at Willie to get outside. And she sees Laura and Mary, and Mary's new eyewear, and immediately starts... Not even with a hello. Rude. Look at Miss Four Eyes. Willie. Willie splaining. You know, you got two glass ones and two real ones. Laura then offers to give Willie two black ones. And Mary just has to say, Laura, be cool. 
Nellie confesses she knew Mary was going to be receiving glasses, but is shocked that Mary even decided to wear those ugly things out in public. Well, Miss Beetle wears glasses, and she's not ugly. Nellie, totally prepared with her shade, says, well, she doesn't have a husband either. No one's going to marry Miss Beetle or Mary. They're just going to be spinsters. And Laura, well, no one's going to marry you for saying such nasty things. Once again, we hear from Mary. Laura, be cool. And as the girls head inside, Willie continues on with his teasing. Inside school, Nellie Olson is giving information on the funding for Christopher Columbus's excursion. My mom says Queen Isabella was more important than Columbus. Miss Beetle simply says, well, it depends on how you look at it. Miss Beetle, at this moment, calls on Mary, who graciously accepts. But upon standing up, the entire class, minus Laura, starts to chant, plug it up, plug it up, pl I mean, four eyes, four eyes, four eyes. Miss Beetle immediately shuts that down, and in a show of support, sisterhood, and solidarity, puts on her own spectacles. Proceed, Mary. Ferdinand Magellan, first man to circ uh, circumnavigate the planet. Apparently, that is a new word for Mary. And here, Miss Beetle congratulates Mary on her efforts for getting completely caught up. And meanwhile, there's a note being passed, and it's placed on Mary's desk. And it should be noted that Laura, looking up at her sister, is just beaming. However, sitting down, Mary finds that note, and in big letters, it says, Four Eyes. Yes, we've heard it before. Come on, prairie kids have no imagination when it comes to teasing and insults. However, we then get a shot of Miss Beetle, and the camera zooms in on her glasses. And then we cut immediately to Mary. Is this my fate? An unwed teacher? Late night, up in the loft. Mary is still studying, and Caroline comes up and tells her it's almost time for bed, and tells her of the latest PTC, parent-teacher conference, Miss Beetle's thrilled about the last few days. You've improved so much. We're so proud of you. And well, she hasn't done it in a while, but Mary has one of her what-if moments. What if my schoolwork hadn't improved with my glasses? Would you be ashamed? Caroline lets out a very silent chuckle and says, No, we would still love you. You're a fine student. You'll make a fine teacher just like Miss Beetle. There's that comparison again. Caroline makes an exit to let Mary finish up her work and so she can get to bed. And Mary takes those glasses off and looks at them and remarks, mm, just like Miss Beetle. We're back at school and the kids are being ringleadered by Nellie, who's finding new ways to taunt and tease Mary. And she has come up with yet another new game. Guess who? We just imitate people and then you just try to guess who they are. And it seems simple enough. And Willie goes first and he holds up two sort of circular glass plates over his own eyes and yells out, 
guess who I am? And without even giving Mary a chance to guess who he is, he yells out the answer. And Laura, who witnesses this from afar, jumps off the teeter-totter to scare Willie away. And Mary, meanwhile, has run to the far end of the cemetery and finds a dead log to cry next to. And she takes off those glasses and contemplates the curse of wearing these glasses and proceeds to hide them, sacrificing not only her vision, her grades, but also her family's finances. And I'm sorry, Mary can't handle a little bit of teasing. I mean, again, not only did she yell at a bunch of grown men, she also invoked the wrath of God against them. And she's getting upset by Nellie Olson. FYI, the way Mary hides her glasses inside this log, they could easily refract the sunlight and start this log on fire. And from there, we are heading home to Plum Creek. Laura runs up to Charles and asks if she can go fishing with Jennifer and do her chores when she gets back home. I have no homework. Charles agrees to this and lets her get on her way. And well, Mary, she has to come up with an explanation slash lie for her glasses. And she keeps telling lies, 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 lies. In today's What Did Mary Lie About section, we are informed that Mary took her glasses off during recess so she could play a game and put them in her pocket. And when the game was over, her glasses were no longer there. Oh, Mary. Trying not to be too upset, Charles remarks, well, you can go tomorrow and get everyone to help you look. And walking away, Mary, with her head down, simply says, I'm sorry. And Charles, looking at Mary, says, well, so am I. It won't be until harvest time before I can get you another pair. And at this point, we cut to Mary's abandoned glasses. They're still there. It's another day, and Mary is heading over to the barn. Charles remarks, oh, it's rather early. And Mary remarks how Ma has sent them out to school early so they can start looking for Mary's glasses. And at this point, Mary states, you know, I'm cool with not having another pair. And Charles simply has to say, excuse me? She's trying really hard to convince Charles that she shouldn't get another pair. But in the end, Charles comforts her and tells her to get going and lets her know lots of people wear glasses including Miss Beetle. And slightly under her breath, Mary replies, yeah, I know. And apparently at school, Christy is still attending classes, but I don't know. It doesn't look like our familiar Christy, no matter what the ending credits say. Moving on, Miss Beetle calls on Mary to read the next passage on the board. Four Eyes is going to read to us. Quiet, Nellie. And knowing it's not really going to happen, Miss Beetle looks at her watch and immediately excuses everyone for lunchtime. Oh, reminder, there's a sign up for the history competition. Mary makes an exit, and before Laura can make hers, Miss Beetle calls her to the front and just has to know, what's the tea with Mary? She has a very good chance of winning. And Laura lets Miss Beetle know that Mary doesn't think she has a good chance ever since she lost her glasses 
Oh, that's all? Oh, that, that's okay. But outside, during that lunchtime break, and Miss Beetle is writing the questions on the board for the history competition, Willie is peering inside. Look at all those questions! No one's ever going to be able to finish them all! I will, says Nellie. Mother asked me so many questions. And Laura states, yeah, too bad they're not the right ones. And praising her sister's intelligence and stating that Mary could easily wipe Nellie Olson's scholar-slash-academic aptitude at this test if you had your glasses. Mary leaves Laura on the teeter-totter with a loud thud, and she moves to the other side of the school, sitting alone in the shade. It's at this time a fancy, fringe-lined wagon shows up with a gentleman, and he says, Hi, Blue Eyes, to Mary. Mary, looking around as though she's hallucinating, is wondering what's going on. This man has flowers and a box of candy, and he's getting out of his own little carriage. This man is legit, and he is looking for the school teacher. Mary directs him to inside the schoolhouse, and the gentleman gives Mary a flower as a thank you. And from there, well... Damn, Miss Beetle. She is sucking face with this man right in the middle of the school, in the middle of the day. And it's at this time, Mary walks in, and she's a little shocked. Aren't we all? And the gentleman is introduced as Mr. Stacy, John Stacy, who is a lawyer from Springfield. And he says, I'm her beau. Pleased to meet you. He then says, Eva, don't keep anyone after school today. I'll be waiting. He then leaves. Miss Beetle apologizes for her behavior, and Mary just needs to know, is he really your beau? There's a silent head nodding of confirmation there. I think he's nice. Giving Mary a hug, Miss Beetle states, so do I. And from that moment, a switch has been flipped. Mary yells out, Can I still do the competition? Well, sure, it starts in five minutes. And with that, Mary starts to make a mad dash with her flower in hand. Oh, wait, no, she actually stops and hands that flower back to Miss Beetle and says, Can you hold on to this? Mary runs out to the log, and it's I'm still amazed that thing hasn't started on fire. And from there, we cut to the wheel at the mill, and Laura comes running up on deck, yelling down to Charles. Of course, Charles just has to know, what's up, half pint? And well, Big Sister Mary won the history award, and with her glasses. Laura runs home to tell Caroline, and when Charles meets up with Mary, Mary, one, doesn't have her glasses on, and two, doesn't seem happy about winning the history competition. However, she takes her glasses out and admits to hiding them to avoid the teasing. I'm sorry I lied. Sticks and stones. Names do hurt, Charles admits. And Mary absolutely agrees. They do hurt. But Charles states, but you got the certificate. So, no more tears. And he concludes that with the way that you're going, you'll be just as good of a teacher as Miss Beetle. And Mary, hugging Charles, says, 
That's right. Just like Miss Beetle. Cutting out of work early, Charles, with Mary by his side, head on home. All right. I have to admit, that recap went on a little bit longer than I had expected, and I did try pretty hard to edit it down a little bit. Clearly, it didn't work. However, what I would like to talk about is December 1994, when John got his first pair of glasses. When Dr. Burke mentions to Mary that she's about to have an experience she'll never forget, it's true, because that's when I got my first pair of glasses. I put them on, of course, in the office because you're required to do so, but I did take them off as I was heading outside and getting into the car with my mom, who also wore glasses. I put them on outside and I just asked my mom to drive. I didn't really care where, but just drive. It was the holiday season, so Christmas lights were in abundance and I had never seen each individual Christmas light. I just saw a blur of lights before. Watching Mary turn her head every which way but loose, I can relate. I did the exact same thing with my first set of glasses. I don't even know how long my mom drove around. We eventually ended up at our local video rental store and even heading inside of there, it was a whole different experience. I feel as though I did try to prep myself up with any sort of taunting or teasing from wearing my new glasses, but that never happened. I had a few other things I was being teased about more and the glasses were never an issue. Years later, I would try contacts, give up on those, go back to glasses, go back to contacts, and, well, it's almost been one year since I've had my LASIK surgery, and, well, hashtag worth it. I was thinking to include some sort of trivia about optometry. However, the experience of getting glasses and wearing them the first few hours, that is way more important than any sort of trivia. And although we may not get recordings on YouTube of people putting their own glasses on and seeing the world for the first time, I will encourage you to look up people who are putting on glasses that correct color blindness and watch those. P.S. Bring a handkerchief or some tissues. It should also be noted that the ferropter that they're using to get Mary's prescription for her eye this machine wasn't even developed until the 1910s. So once again, we have one of those historical inaccuracies. So from there, let's get on with reviewing and rating this episode. All in all, I would have to say this is another rather well done episode. Once again, we had a storyline with a very relatable subject matter. I mean, for myself anyway, when anyone who has had glasses. And the contrast of this episode, with the first half, of course, being about Mary and her difficulties with her education at this time, followed by her mm, understanding that her glasses are going to now cause some sort of ridicule and constant comparison to one particular individual, Miss Beetle. Mary goes through a lot in this episode. So if I am going to, of course, complain about anything, it's once again just the passage of time. Did this all take place over the course of five weeks, six weeks, four? 
321, we know it took at least one week because Mary and Charles went to Mankato and came back. And when did she level up? Because you know, Mary did drop out of school last episode. I feel as we continue our adventure through Little House on the Prairie together, um, that will probably be one of my ongoing complaints, the passage of time. And well, speaking of time, let's talk about this episode's Little House moment. And well, I hate to admit, but this one is probably pretty obvious. Our Little House moment is when Dr. Burke turns to Mary and says, you're about to have an experience you'll always remember. And like I had mentioned right after the recap, that was my experience, and I still remember it after all these years. And finally, let's get to rating this episode. So overall, story-wise, I really enjoyed this episode. And of course, the things that bring it down, which I've already stated, is, of course, passage of time. Now, I hate to sound like a Sheldon Cooper and continuously pointing out all the historical inaccuracies, Sorry, Amy Farrah Fowler. Aside from that, this story is a very common place. Plus, it was nice to have that little tease about Miss Beetle's social life outside of school. And again, another nice episode where the focus was about the children and not about the adults. So, I'm going to go ahead and give four eyes for 0.75 bonnets. And well... Those are some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode, and I would like to hear any thoughts or feelings you might have about this episode or any previous episodes. Again, you can reach me at fromplumcreekwithlove at gmail.com, or you can DM me through my Instagram account, fromplumcreekwithlove. Again, thank you for hitting that subscribe or following button. Please feel free to go ahead and rate and review me if you're on the iTunes. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care.